Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining our webinar today. I'm Brad Lubin, Associate Professor and Extension Policy Specialist in the Department of Agricultural Economics here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. On to our topic of the day, I'm, I'm pleased to invite and, and welcome uh, Dave Aiken to the, the program. With the general election coming up on Tuesday, Nebraska voters will face six different ballot measures, including two proposed amendments, one that would eliminate involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment, and one to extend the time frame for tax increment financing in areas of extreme blight. The ballot initiatives also include three relating to uh, gambling, uh, and in addition to one relating to payday loan charges and a trio of proposals centered around casino gambling. Uh, to provide an overview of these measures, as noted, uh, we invite uh, and, and welcome Dave Aiken to the program uh, to understand the points of view of both proponents and opponents and to understand the potential impact um, that might occur to the state. Uh, Dave Aiken is a longtime colleague of mine in the Department of Agricultural Economics, is a professor and water and agricultural law specialist, and continues his work at UNL uh, on a 45-year record of, of service to the university and to the state. With that, I'm pleased to welcome my colleague and turn it over to Dave for uh, today's program. Okay, uh, thank you, Brad. Uh, this is going to be an interesting, uh, interesting conversation. Um, as the was noted in the intro, we've got a pretty full slate of ballot initiatives this year. Uh, we not all of them. One of them got bumped off uh, by the courts, and uh, the property tax one got. Uh, you know, they they stopped collecting uh, petitions uh, during the COVID. Uh, pandemic, and so they that one didn't get on at all. But we've got the two uh, constitutional amendments that were proposed uh, by the unicameral, uh, the one with regards to slavery, and then the second one with regards to uh, uh, tax uh, increment financing in cities and villages. And then we have four uh, ballot initiatives, which, uh, you know, got on through uh, petitions uh, carried uh, to voters, you know, throughout the state uh, for voter signatures, you know, to, to get on the ballot. Uh, the first one uh, does is dealing with uh, uh, payday loans. Uh, and then the last three uh, deal with uh, uh, casino uh, gambling at uh, racetracks uh, in Nebraska. And we have, uh, then we had a, a medical marijuana initiative petition that uh, collected sufficient signatures 
but the Supreme Court said that uh, it violated the Constitution and so it could not appear on the ballot. Okay, the first one is the uh, uh, what I call the slavery amendment. And, um, you know, Nebraska, after the Civil War, you know, when new states wanted to enter the uh, Union, they had to, um, you know, ratify any outstanding amendments that were uh, had been, you know, adopted by Congress at that point. Uh, and then, you know, the content of the state uh, of the state uh, constitution had to be uh, approved by Congress. And, you know, Nebraska, I think it was the third time before uh, the uh, radical Republicans in Congress approved uh, Nebraska's proposed state constitution. And uh, the, one of the reasons that it got that proposed, it, got that approval is because uh, it adopted language that was very, very close, you know, almost identical to the uh, uh, 13th Amendment uh, in the federal constitution that outlaws slavery. And both the federal constitution and the uh, provision in the Nebraska constitution uh, say that, you know, slavery is outlawed except as you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically as, as uh, uh, forced convict labor uh, or forced labor for anyone convicted of a crime. And, uh, you know, some of you who are my age or older remember the old Tony Curtis movie, I think from the 1950s or 1960s, was, I escaped from a chain gang or, you know, something like that. But these, you know, prison chain gangs uh, type situation was common, apparently a common practice, uh, uh, you know, from, from the uh, uh, Civil War period through at least, you know, maybe up to around the, the Second World War. But, um, and what would happen is that, you know, people, Say, say you're going to build a road, uh, you could hire uh, convict labor, you know, to, to prepare the roadbed or something like that. Uh, and, and you would pay the state or pay, you know, the prison uh, for the labor and the, the, the convicts didn't get paid anything. So this was this unforced paid, unforced unpaid labor. And uh, actually the state capitol, uh, when we constructed the state capitol building, you know, in the 30s, uh, part of that, part of the labor was prison labor from the penitentiary. And apparently in Nebraska, this practice of leasing out prisoners to provide labor uh, stopped around 1940. I don't have a great source for that, but uh, that's in terms of trying to get the background, that's the best I could do. So what Amendment one would do is it would take out this, the language dealing with uh, forced labor uh, or slave, you know, slavery means forced labor for uh, forced convict labor. Uh, take that language out of the Constitution. So it would just be, you know, slavery is prohibited, period, without the exception for uh, this convict labor idea. 
And uh, the supporters argue that this, you know that the shorter amendment is would be better. Uh, that you know that this language about being a slave if you're a convict doing forced labor and stuff is you know that's that's offensive and we we don't need it and and uh, you know so they just clean it up. And a lot of states have done that. I think Colorado did it a year or two ago, uh, uh, very similar to what is on the ballot uh, for Nebraska. Uh, opponents argue that this would interfere with uh, how prison officials manage inmates. Uh, and it said that they would no longer be able to require inmates to perform prison labor without compensation. And uh, I thought that was a pr pretty creative argument. And uh, I, I think the way it works is that if you do, you know, you work in the laundry or something like that in the prison. I mean, this is what you see on all the TV shows. Anyway, the cop shows on TV that deal with, you know, it, prison inmates and stuff like that, that they, they do labor in, the, in there for, for uh, you know, they get privileges if they do that. So I think that that practice could still continue. But anyway, that's one. That's the, that's the first one. Okay, the second one is, is uh, it deals with property taxes, but it only deals, it's not property taxes generally, it's property taxes within cities and villages. So it's basically urban property taxes, urban being broadly defined. And this is uh, tax increment financing, and this is something that's been around for a few decades. But basically, the idea is that if you have these, you know, community redevelopment projects, uh, in order to get private developers to come in and undertake these projects, uh, if the community can provide some of the financing, so that instead of the project developer having to put in the sewers and the sidewalks and the, you know, the curb cuts and the streets and stuff like that, uh, that that can be paid for with this. Uh, with the so-called tax through this tax increment financing, which makes the project more attractive financially to the real estate developer. And the way it works is that they collect a tax on the property. And as the property is being redeveloped, then the value goes up uh, and the amount of the property taxes paid uh, that relate to the increase in the value because of the redevelopment project. You know, usually these areas are blighted areas, you know, with quotations around them that, you know, are not going to have a, a strong property value. Uh, but when they're redeveloped, but their, you know, their property values, it could increase pretty substantially. But that amount of the, of the property tax associated with the increase in the property value, that's put into this TIF or tax increment financing fund. And it's used to pay for these public improvements to help do the, to help, uh, to help uh, make the redevelopment project successful. And the argument has been made is that in Omaha, uh, some of the uh, redevelopment projects, I think they like the Crossroads project uh, in, in, in Omaha, the, the, the old shopping center, uh, that you know, with the 15 year limitation on the uh, TIF financing, uh, that doesn't generate enough revenue to allow the public 
investment to be substantial enough to make the, the project attractive to, to real estate developers. And so they're saying, well, let's, let's say that if you meet certain requirements that you could have an expanded TIF period, that it can go the, the maximum from being 15 years to 20, you can increase that to 20 years. So that's the proposal to increase the maximum TIF financing period from 15 to 20 years. And in order to qualify for the, the extra five years, the, the property have to be extremely blighted instead of just regularly blighted. That means high poverty, high unemployment, that type of thing. And so that would make these, that would make these redevelopment projects more attractive to real estate developers. That's what the supporters say. The opponents say that, well, this, you know, this is just increasing the property tax load on property taxpayers in those communities because as soon as that, the quicker that TIF uh, financing ends, then those property taxes collected all go into the, you know, the general uh, fund for the, for the community rather than part of it going for that community development project. So, but that's, again, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of an urban issue, but we all will get a chance to vote on it. Okay, the next one uh, is uh, the payday loan uh, uh, initiative, and uh, I'm, you know, if you if you watch television at all, you've seen some ads for this one. Uh, <clears throat> and basically, what it does is, under current law, uh, under current statutes, uh, payday loan charges are limited to fifteen dollars per $100 borrowed. And if you, you know, say that if you borrow $15, you know, and you're paid every two weeks, you know, so that happens twice a month and you do that for 12 months, you know, that the, the amount that's collected turns out to be very high rate of interest. And, uh, you know, supporters say it's 400%. You know, I haven't calculated it myself, but it's, it, it could be quite a bit, you know, $30 a month for, it's $360, that'd be, I don't know, at least 360%. So, I mean, it, it's a lot. Um, and the uh, initiative would limit that to 36% uh, annual interest. And so instead of charging $15 per $100, you know, it'd be more like a dollar and a half or something like that would be the maximum that they could charge. You know, for if it were for a month, and if it were for you know just for two weeks, it would be it would be less than that, probably half that. But and for those of you that don't don't know, and and this would amend uh, statutes. You know, we normally think of initiatives as being constitutional amendments, and many of them are. But we can also we also Nebraska Constitution also allows initiative petitions to modify statutes and and. Uh, uh, of the four ballot initiatives, three of them would would uh, modify statutes, and then this is the first one that's a statutory change rather than a constitutional change because we don't have anything about payday loans in the Constitution, which is probably a good thing. And the way payday loans work, for those of you that don't know, basically what happens is you write a a, a post dated check, and uh, the the check is dated on whatever your next paycheck would be deposited into your bank account and they check out, you know, whether you're employed, you know, and 
where your bank account is and all that stuff before they'll loan you the money. But you write a post-dated check for $115 and then you get $100 of cash for that. And the $15 is the service charge, so to speak, for the, for the uh, payday loan. And uh, according to Wikipedia, I, I looked this up, but according to Wikipedia, uh, you know, you have the option uh, that on the day that you get paid, you can come in with $115 in cash and pay that, and then they don't cash the check, or you can just not show up, and then they'll just they'll cash the check, and and your loan is is your payday loan is finished. Now, the supporters argue, the supporters who want who want the 36% limit on the interest rate, uh, they say that it's you know astronomical rates of interest, uh, and that the people who are paying these interests are the are the are the people who can least afford to pay such a high rate of interest. Then uh, also they'll say the borrowers end up in a debt track where a debt trap, excuse me, where you know when you're going to pay, you know, you pay off your old loan and then you take out a new loan, you know, so you just it just kind of it just kind of builds up. And if you have to if you have to borrow $115 to to pay off the hundred dollar loan, you know, then you're the amount the service charge is going to go up and, and and everything else so and if you do that every two weeks or every month you know that over time you know you you end up a lot more than the initial loan and, and it's hard to get out of that for a lot of folks okay so that's that's the arguments in favor arguments against they say the 15 dollars uh, the 15 dollars charge is less than most uh, bank return check charges which is true, although if you're writing a check for two or three or four or five hundred dollars, it's going to be a lot more than fifteen dollars, and it's probably going to be a lot more than what the your bounce check uh, fee would be from the bank. That's I don't know what what banks charge. Uh, I know for a long time it seemed like it was twenty five dollars. I don't know if it's still twenty five dollars or if they charge more, but anyway, that that's that's the one argument. The next one is that if we didn't have uh, payday lenders, which are you know authorized by Nebraska statutes and therefore subject to some statutory oversight and that, uh, payday borrowers, uh, the people who used uh, you know these payday loans, would instead go to these unregulated online uh, lenders and uh, you know where there's no no supervision, no oversight, stuff like that. So they say that even if the payday loan system may not be great, it's better than what this class of borrowers would find if they were in a, you know, if they were an online uh, loan type situation. So that's the first one, the first uh, first ballot initiative 428. Okay, and the next three are, you know, basically a group. And uh, it's a it's a, a collect it's a, the three uh, 429, 430, and 431 the three initiatives to uh, authorize or legalize uh, casino gambling at racetracks um, in Nebraska. And so the first, and this you know this one went to court. Actually, the payday one went to court too, uh, but the Supreme Court said no, that's fine. You can put it on the ballot. But the but these three, you know, there's 
uh, a little more hotly contested and is a little more divided uh, court in those in that case in the in these in the casino uh, issue. But uh, the first initiative is the so-called constitutional initiative, and these this is how they were referred to in the court in the in the Nebraska Supreme Court opinion. So I just conveniently labels to use here. Uh, the first one, 429, is a constitutional initiative. It would amend the Constitution. Um, and we'll go into the details of that, but it would amend the Constitution to create an exception to allow uh, uh, casino gambling at, at licensed racetracks. And then uh, the next one, 430, would adopt a statute to regulate uh, casino gambling at uh, racetracks. And then the last one, the tax initiative 431, would uh, tax uh, the gambling proceeds from these racetrack casinos. And, you know, a big, and a big chunk of the taxes are earmarked for property tax relief in Nebraska. And a thread that kind of runs through this whole casino gambling um, issue is the, uh, and it was made explicit in the in the uh, lawsuit over the casino gambling uh, is that you know that this that uh, really this is just to authorize casino uh, casino gambling for uh, Indian tribes in Nebraska, and that's kind of a complicated legal issue. But when we get to slide number ten, we'll 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 kind of walk through the, the that portion of the of the gambling uh, argument or, or debate, I should say, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so that's, you know, but that just, I just wanted to highlight that up front to, to, to let you know that that's gonna be something that's, that's, that's important. Okay, the constitutional initiative, number 429, uh, you know, the Nebraska constitution currently bans gambling in Nebraska except as provided for in exceptions uh, in the constitution. And so you've got section 24 of article 23 that, that deals with gambling. So you know, subsection one says gambling's illegal except as otherwise authorized in this section. And then there's, I don't know, four, four or five, I forget how many, some uh, sections after that, two, three, and four, and that are something like that. And it, and it allows gambling that, you know, it allows the state lottery. Uh, it allows paramutual betting at uh, the racetracks uh, and it allows bingo games, you know, uh, operated by nonprofit entities. So, you know, we do have limited uh, gambling in Nebraska, uh, but we don't have, but casino gambling uh, is not, is not legal in Nebraska. So 429 uh, would add a new exception. And I think it's, I think it is number five. Uh, and it's, but it's a very specific exception. It's, a, uh, it's a, it would authorize uh, an exception for casino gambling at licensed Nebraska racetracks. And so that's, you know, it's not casino gambling wherever somebody wants to do it. It's just at these licensed racetracks. And so it's a, you know, it's, it is casino gambling, but it's not statewide casino gambling. Uh, TV ads, you know, kind of to the contrary. Uh, 
And uh, from a legal perspective, 429, the constitutional initiative has to be adopted. If 429 doesn't pass, then if the other two, 430 and 431, if they do pass, won't matter because they need 429 to go. If 429 isn't enacted, then 430 and 431, you know, whether they're enacted or not, doesn't really, really matter. They won't, they won't make it, uh, they won't go anywhere. It's a little bit complicated, but, you know, clearly they would have had to have at least two, uh, two initiatives to, to accomplish, you know, what the racetrack casino backers want to accomplish. Okay, so since this is the constitutional question, and since this question has to be is has to be decided in the affirmative for the other the other two initiatives to have any have any meaning, uh, let's take a quick look at the pro and con. And you know, the proponents uh, argue that you know that's well, you, you, their argument is is well expressed in their in their uh, uh, tagline, which is keep the money in Nebraska. They say that you know Nebraskans gamble as much as four hundred million dollars in neighboring, in casinos in neighboring states, uh, and that we ought to you know keep the money in Nebraska you know because that'll provide employment and uh, uh, provide some tax revenue and and all of that is good and you know why should why should Iowa and and Kansas and South Dakota get that money uh, instead of Nebraska? The opponents. Uh, you know, have, uh, I think, a couple of two, uh, two major arguments. The first one is the traditional uh, moralistic argument. And it's, you know, it's frankly the reason that I personally voted against all the casino, you know, amendments uh, or initiatives, excuse me, just to, you know, just to be upfront about that. Uh, but, you know, it's that, you know, gambling is, bad for the community you know that well you know people become addicted to gambling uh you know it can lead to other you know drug abuse you know uh spousal abuse stuff like that i mean all sorts of social ills uh you know increase petty crime uh, to you know to feed your gambling habit stuff like that um and you know, traditionally, that argument I think uh, has carried the day, and so when we've seen these gambling uh, constitutional amendments in the past, you know, they've 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 always been voted down, uh, and I think it's because a lot of people felt that gambling is bad for the community, and you know, any economic benefits aside, you know, that they're not enough to justify uh, the bad stuff that that can also happen, but. Be, you know, we also have this Indian casino element, uh, and the, and the argument is that, you know, because of the uh, Indian gaming law at the federal level, if the state of Nebraska authorizes racetrack casino gambling, they'll have to authorize Indian casino gambling, and they'll argue and in their TV ads and on their website, they argue that it's you know it'll be unrestricted that they can do it anywhere you want. I mean, I've, you've probably heard the ads. Every church in Nebraska, if this passes, every church in Nebraska will have a casino across the street, uh, an Indian casino across the street. So that's, I mean, that's kind of far-fetched. 
but it's it's the argument that that uh, they are making and you know the the shrillness of of, of some of these arguments uh suspect that i think that the opponents uh, you know their polling is showing that the that the uh, uh gambling initiative has more support than than uh, the opponents would like you know we have both the Omaha paper and the Lincoln paper uh coming out in favor of keeping the money in Nebraska so and I don't know what uh the papers around the state have said but you know I was I was very surprised when they both came out in favor of it uh but there was you know I'm I'm 70 years old I'm still stuck in the gambling is bad mindset so uh time, time marches on and and uh you know you're and, and so that's how it goes. But anyway, so if the Constitutional Initiative 429 passes, then we consider the next two. And these are both, these are both, these would both create new statutes uh, in Nebraska uh, if they were approved by voters. So the first one is the regulatory statute or called the regulatory initiative. And it's the Nebraska Racetrack Gambling Act. And so if it's approved by a majority of the voters, uh, it would create this new Nebraska Gaming Commission to regulate uh, racetrack casino gambling. The commission would be, it would be made up of the current racing commission, which is five members, and then two members appointed by the governor, one who would represent the gaming industry in Nebraska, and then the second one uh, who would represent the uh, racetracks in Nebraska. And so I assume that would be the the horse track benevolent association or you know whatever whatever it's called but probably somebody from that group and they would be the ones who would you know consider and and consider applications for these uh cas casino operations excuse me at the racetracks uh now interesting thing the uh, gambling operation, the casino gambling operations would not be to be conducted by the race, uh, the racetrack license holder. So this would mean that, for example, Indian tribes, you know, like Ho-Chunk uh, up from Dakota County, uh, you know, my, my home stomping grounds as a youth, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that they, you know, it, they would mean that the racetrack could basically hire someone to come in and run the casino for them. And, uh, and they could actually, the person, the entity coming in, let's say it's Hocha, uh, coming in, what it could actually be the one that applies for the license and they would have the license to operate the casino at the racetrack if, if their application was approved. And it'd be much easier for somebody who was a current operator who knows you know how to operate a casino uh and how to meet all the gambling requirements and stuff like that they would have a leg up on somebody who would said yeah boy i've i've always wanted to run a casino you know the don't have experience don't have any background don't have any money you know but i i think it'd be fun to run a casino you know it's it's going to be tough uh, so somebody with the experience is going to have a leg up in terms of trying to do this and making a pitch to the racetracks that yeah we're the ones that should operate your casino if you want to have a casino at your racetrack so my expectation would be is that you know as if all these if all three of these pass 
that it will be that the people who come forward for the licenses will be uh, uh, people who are operating casinos someplace else, probably one of these uh, Iowa uh, riverboat uh, casinos, somebody like that. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, they'd have to go through the application process. And, you know, the application process looks pretty good. It's very general, but it covers, covers the bases pretty well, not any huge holes that I could that I could see uh, from a legal perspective. Um, the license fee would be a million dollars. So if to if you apply for the if you apply for license and get it, you're gonna have to pay a license a one-time license fee of a million dollars to get, you know, to be able to operate the, the casino at the racetrack. Um, I've gotten some questions in terms of, you know, would they be able to offer sports betting? Uh, sports <clears throat> uh, uh, college football book, for example, at the uh, uh, at the casinos, and I think the answer to that is no. I have learned a lot about uh, gambling law in the United States in the last week, uh, but uh, there's there's more that I don't know than I do know. Uh, the the uh, 429 uh, talks about games of chance, and uh, and 430 talks about uh, 430 talks about games of chance and that's the uh, so I assume that that would probably cover most uh, casino games typical casino games clearly that I mean it includes card games uh, and but also includes uh, you know slot machines and, and stuff like that so I would assume that most of you know, what you could find in most any casino would probably be authorized uh, but I think that you would have to it would take different language to broaden it to include something like uh, sports betting. Um, that's uh, I know that they had that in Iowa, uh, but uh, Iowa is the only state bordering Nebraska that that uh, currently authorizes sports betting. So it's it's probably you know they can do it in Iowa casinos, but not in Kansas or South Dakota casinos. At least you know to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Indian connection or the Indian reservation connection and, and some of the confusion about how that would play out uh, from the uh, TV commercials uh, that you've seen about the gambling initiative. Um, and in the lawsuit, you know, the, they, they raised it directly saying that, that basically that uh, 429 is a stalking horse, so to speak, for the uh, for uh, expanded uh, reservation gambling in Nebraska, and um, and uh, uh, and argued that that made it an invalid constitutional amendment, and the Supreme Court said no, that doesn't invalidate it. Uh, you know, that's that's that that's not a problem. That's not a legal problem. Uh, but the contention is that. Uh, under the Federal uh, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, if a state authorizes gambling uh, within the state, uh, and there are uh, tribal lands in that state, like there are in Nebraska, for example, then the state has to negotiate with the tribes. If the tribes wish, uh, uh, the, the, the state has to negotiate with the tribes to uh, basically authorized the same type of gambling that's authorized within the state generally 
uh, to be also authorized on the uh, on tribal land. And so the opponents of the casino uh, three initiatives has said that, well, if, if, if we have, uh, uh, if this all passes, then we'll have to negotiate with the tribes to let them put a casino uh, anywhere they want in Nebraska. And we will have, and Nebraska will have no control over that. Uh, we won't be able to collect any taxes from it, and you know we'll have a casino across the street from every church in Nebraska uh, if if this happens. Well, that's 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 uh, wrong for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, I'm skipping over the the first argument and going directly to the second argument, but uh, you know, well, the first one actually, sorry, the first one is relevant. Uh, if all these pass, we will have racetrack casino gambling in Nebraska. That is not the same thing as casino gambling in Nebraska. You know, in order to qualify for a casino gambling license in Nebraska, you would have to locate the casino on a licensed racetrack. And so uh, if all this passed, you know, if the tribes wished, they would come to, they could come to the state and say, we want to negotiate to have uh, uh, casino gambling as an option on racetracks located on tribal land or on, on reservations. And, you know, I mean, in order to do that, they, in order to, to make that go, they'd have to, you know, they'd have to build a racetrack get that licensed and then you know they'd have to go through all the hoops that you would for the casino racetrack casino gambling you know outside of indian reservations in nebraska so i believe that the contention that authorizing casino gambling at racetracks means that indian reservations would be able to locate casinos anywhere they wanted in nebraska because of this federal law the indian gaming act uh I believe that's that's incorrect. Uh, the purpose of the Indian Gaming Act is to, to negotiate, you know, what uh, will the tribe pay the state of Nebraska in terms of taxes or in lieu of taxes associated with casino revenue and, and stuff like that. Uh, so that's the, uh, you know, the act basically sets up a framework to negotiate these things. It doesn't say tribes have to pay states so much they leave that to be negotiated between the parties. Uh, but uh, due to a fairly recent uh, US Supreme Court decision, states have a stronger hand because if the, uh, if the reservations are unhappy with, with, the, with what the state negotiates with them, uh, the states can't, the, excuse me, res the Indian tribes cannot sue the state uh, to, 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 to force, you know, a, a uh, gambling uh a gambling uh, agreement uh, down the state's throat uh, secondly uh, you know the guy the tribes who seem to have the most interest in the casino gambling are probably already doing the uh, casino uh riverboat casino gambling you know in iowa and so uh you know if 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 all these pass we'll have these six racetracks that could be sites of casinos uh and so I think that uh, 
you know, operating six uh, casinos at racetracks uh, would be a pretty significant undertaking. And that, it, you know, uh, if, unless there's, uh, and, unless it turns out that Nebraskans have an insatiable appetite for uh, casino gambling uh, or for casino recreation, uh, or to put it in a, in a somewhat different way, if we all become uh, casino gambling addicts in Nebraska, you know, that it may be that the six, the six at the racetrack, uh, six casinos at the racetracks may be plenty. Uh, it may be that the demand isn't, is maybe there for only three racetracks and maybe not all six. I mean, so, I, you know, I, I have no idea in terms of what the market is uh, for these things, but I mean, we're just, if these all pass, it seems that we would have to, to wait and see how it all unfolds. But the basic point is that, you know, they're going to, uh, if, uh, if a tribe is interested in, in pursuing a casino gambling option, the easiest way for them to do it would be to hook up with a racetrack and, and do it there rather than trying to, rather than trying to set one out someplace else, which in my opinion would require an additional constitutional amendment. Uh, and that's, I don't think that's going to be in the cards for a few years, even if, uh, even if this stuff passes, even if all three of the casino ones passed this year. Okay, here's just a list of the, the six racetracks in Nebraska. And, and we'll have the map and just uh, on the next slide, but it's, you know, the South Sioux City, uh, uh, Lincoln, Omaha, uh, Grand Island, Hastings and Columbus, you know, are, are, are where, the, where the tracks, the current, uh, the current tracks are. Again, you know, additional tracks. Could be built, uh, but uh, not. You know, I'm not sure that would. I'm not sure that would pay. Now here's the map, and this is interesting. The uh, the, the sort of red dots are the um, out of state uh, casinos, and you know you can see that they're all sort of clustered around the Missouri River, except for uh, a few couple up in Sioux Falls, but. And then you've got the, the, the yellow dots, which are the, the, the six racetracks. And then I think you may have some, some paler yellow uh, blocks, which would be, uh, I'm guessing are probably Indian reservations. But I mean, there's lots of casinos and, uh, uh, you know, they're more in sort of Eastern, uh, the Eastern third of Nebraska, but that's, you know, uh, that's that's the, the location. Now, one thing, one legal thing to point out is that with these, uh, what I'll call uh, initiative petition statutes, like uh, initiative 430 would be if it's adopted, the constitution says that if a statute is adopted or amended by initiative petition, uh, that, changed statute or that new statute can be amended or even repealed by the unicameral with a two-thirds majority, uh, which means uh, 33 votes. Uh, <clears throat> 33 votes is also needed to override a gubernatorial veto if the governor vetoes it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've got a very, a, a governor who has been very active in, in uh, uh, senatorial races in the in the state uh you know while he has been governor 
And so if, you know, if he just had the 33 votes to pass something, the governor vetoes it, you know, some of the governor's friends uh, in the legislature might vote against, you know, to sustain the veto and against, you know, so it might not have 33 votes uh, when the override vote comes up. Uh, you know, that's, that's how it has, you know, that, that has been kind of the recent experience uh, in, at least in Nebraska under, you know, with Governor Ricketts. But the, 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 the important point is that if, if Initiative 430 was passed, you know, the legislature could, with the two-thirds vote, uh, change provisions uh, of the Gaming Act. And so they could say, for example, that instead of the, the fee being a million dollars, they could say they could lower it or they could raise it, you know. And if they had the votes and the governor didn't veto it, uh, they could do it, you know. In fact, you know, if I were, you know, uh, if I were, say, a political advisor to uh, Governor Ricketts and all this stuff passes, uh, you know, he, Governor Ricketts might come out with a bill, uh, a proposal to change uh, the the license fee from a uh, million dollars to ten million dollars, you know, to some prohibitive amount to make it very difficult to get to pay for one of these licenses. Uh, and then you'd probably have a fun lawsuit about that and, and stuff. But anyway, you know, I just wanted to let you know that these, that there, that if a statute is adopted, you know, at a general election by a vote of the people, uh, it is not immune to change. It can be changed. It takes a super majority, but it takes, you know, it takes 30 to pass. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, uh, and it takes, it takes, uh, more to break a filibuster than it does to you know to, to override the uh you know to be the super majority or to override a veto so it's uh you know it's it's definitely it's definitely doable now of course that's a political vote for the senators and you know if the if the thing if the gambling stuff passed two to one in their district they may be reluctant to vote for something that's going to offend the people who voted in favor of the casino gambling uh, initiatives. So, uh, <clears throat> so that's you know there's that political consideration. In addition, uh, you know when they change it, they can't go beyond the limits of 429. Uh, and so, if they wanted, if they wanted to amend the statute to say you could have a casino anywhere in Nebraska, you know, if you get the license, doesn't have to be at a, it doesn't have to be at a racetrack. Uh, that would probably be, uh, well, I'm almost certain that would be unconstitutional, and uh, you know that you would need another constitutional amendment to, to allow that, uh, to broaden uh, where the casinos could be located, if we decided that six aren't enough. Okay, well, this is the, the last initiative, uh, 431, and this is the tax initiative. And uh, it, uh, it would uh, tax, uh, if it was approved and, and you had actually had casino in operation, it would tax uh, uh, gross uh, gaming revenue at 20%. And, uh, you know, I've, we don't have, have a lot of uh, 
gross receipts taxes in Nebraska. So I don't know what that's what's that like as the tax rate, but that's not you know it's it's not net gaming revenue. It's gross, so it's it's an effective tax rate of more than twenty percent for net revenue. Uh, and then it's all earmarked. Seventy uh, percent uh, would go to the property tax uh, uh, fund uh, for property tax relief. Then two and a half to the gambler fund, two and a half to the general fund, you know, so that's not a lot. And then 25% would go to the county uh, where the racetrack is located. But if the racetrack is, uh, you know, within a city or village, uh, then it would be shared. Uh, the 25% the would be split between the, the city or village and the county. So I took the try to estimate what this might be if all the Nebraska gamblers stayed home and spent their $400 million in Nebraska. And so we, and if that was $400 million, you know, gross gaming revenue, then, uh, you know, I do the multiply that by 70%, uh, or 20% and then by 70%, you get $56 million. And that would increase what we spend on property tax relief in Nebraska by around 10%. But realize it's going to be several years as a minimum, you know, before uh, we would have that kind of uh, gambling revenue. I mean, it's going to take a while to get these casinos approved, uh, up and running. Uh, I mean, if, if there were any operating a year from now, I'd say that was a miracle. Uh, I wouldn't believe it. I'd say it's more probably going to be more like maybe two or three years. Uh, but, you know, that's just a guess. Um, this, uh, because it's a statute, it could also be amended uh, uh, or repealed. Uh, so, you know, they could, you know, the legislature, the two thirds vote. And with the, if the governor approved, you know, they could do it, uh, uh, say, make it 25% instead of 20%, you know, or uh, in terms of the, the gross revenue tax or, you know, any of those, they could change any of those numbers if they, if they wanted to, and if all the votes were there to do it. And so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's another thing to, to, uh, uh, to consider. Okay. This is the last one. So we'll be, we'll be able to open it up for questions pretty quick. Medical marijuana petition, they collected enough ballots, uh, but uh, it was uh, the Supreme Court uh, in a five to two ruling said that it was, uh, it violated the, the uh, one subject rule. And to me, they, it, you know, I've, I read the medical marijuana one, right? I read the casino case first, and then I read the medical marijuana case. And it, you know, it seemed that the, that they didn't follow the same approach in both cases. But anyway, uh, the one subject rule is that, I mean, we have this in, well, the constitution says that a, a, a ballot initiative or any constitutional amendment can only contain one subject. And the idea is to prevent log rolling. Uh, and log rolling is the idea that, you know, I've got, a, I've got a bill that does something that you don't want, but I've got something in there that you like. And so in order to get the bill that you want or the provision passed that you want, you vote for mine. Even if you split them up, you'd vote against mine, but you'd vote for your own. 
In fact, this argument was made uh, when the property tax relief was uh, was debated in the unicameral, and uh, you know opponents said that you know instead of saying that putting the the you know imagine Nebraska Act the new uh, economic, economic development program and in plus state support for the pandemic center at the med center uh, plus the uh, property tax relief instead of having those three programs in one bill that you know they should split it up into three bills and then let everybody all the senators vote up or down on the on the you know on the three bills and then the first two would pass and the property property tax one would fail uh, and in fact, that's why they packaged it the way they did, so that the people who were in favor of the first two, but maybe against the property tax relief, would vote for the bill because uh, they were wanted the first two to pass and they were willing to accept property tax relief, even though they might not have voted for it if it had been a separate proposal. Uh, you know, I mean, that was by design, and that, and that's why you have these, uh, you know, sometimes they're called Christmas tree bills and stuff, where there's everything is in there and. You've got enough stuff in there so that you've got enough people to, to pass it. Uh, and even though everybody, there's there's parts of it that that everybody likes, dislikes at least some parts of it, but they like other parts more, so they vote for the so they vote for it. And <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, uh, in the casino case, the uh, the opponents said that well, you know this earmarking 70% of the of the casino taxes, the property tax relief, uh, property tax relief doesn't have anything to do with casino gambling and racetracks. Uh, and the Supreme Court said, well, sure it does. Uh, but the, you know, the, the opponent said, no, no, this is, you know, this is, there's two subjects, property tax relief and casino gambling and racetracks. And they put the, they put the property tax relief in there to get more people to vote for it. And I'll bet when, you know, it'll be very interesting to see. I'll bet that the property tax, uh, excuse me, I'll bet initiative 431, which is the, the tax initiative uh, that has the 70% earmark for property tax. I'll bet that has the most votes of any of the three initiatives. We'll have to see what happens, but that's my prediction that we'll see more votes for that. There'll be some people who vote against it. They'll say, well, I'm not going to vote for, I don't like gambling, but if it passes, then I'm, I want property tax relief. So I'll vote for the third one. Uh, I'll vote against the first two, but I'll, I'll vote for the third one. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see people do that. So is in the medical marijuana case, you know, but that was the, that was the two subject rule debate uh, in the, uh, in the casino case and the Supreme Court said, no, no, these two are clearly closely together. This is not log rolling. Uh, when it looked like pretty blatant log rolling to me. Uh, but they said, nope, no, we don't want to second guess uh, people's, uh, you know, what uh, the people who signed these petitions, we don't want to second guess what their intentions were and stuff like that. And we want to give broad latitude because this is, you know, the people's chance to you know, to change their constitution or to change the laws in the state. And so we're going to give them lots and lots and lots of deference and we're not gonna, you know, invalidate these things, you know, unless we really feel that we have no other choice. So, so that's fine. So it's not, it's not log rolling, even though it sure looks like and smells like log rolling to me. But when we come to medical marijuana, the court took a very different tack 
and they said, yeah, no, this is two subject rule and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, we're against log rolling and, and, and stuff. But here we see that there is a provision authorizing people who don't need marijuana, medical marijuana or marijuana for medical purposes and who don't get the doctor's permit slip for it or whatever, they would be authorized to grow marijuana and sell the marijuana or marijuana products to people who are authorized to take marijuana for medical purposes in Nebraska. And they said, that's, we don't need that. They says, you know, the, the, the way the initiative is written is that, uh, uh, you know, the people who have the doctor's permit, uh, have the doctor's slip, can get the, you know, they can grow their own. And so if you, if you authorize them to grow their own, whether they want to or not, uh, they may not want to, you know, but, but, but they didn't really consider that. They said, if they have the option to grow their own, then you really don't need these independent, you know, marijuana growers uh, growing marijuana to sell to uh, these uh, medical marijuana uh, users. And they said, so that's clearly a second subject. And so we invalidate the, the petition, the medical marijuana petition. That made no sense to me because it, you know, I, no log rolling. Uh, now I could see an argument that that there would be law enforcement challenges that if you've got these people who are entitled to grow marijuana. You know, I mean, it's going to be a lot of work to make sure that they're only selling it to people who are licensed in Nebraska to take medical marijuana. They're not selling it to anybody else, and uh, you know, I I can see that that would be a legitimate policy argument against the, you know, the medical marijuana petition and that it would create this, you know, this uh, difficult to regulate market for growing marijuana in Nebraska. And, uh, but normally the court would not, you know, court didn't look into that. They didn't use that as a rationale for their decision. And normally they'd say, well, those are, you know, those are ancillary consequences that, you know, that we don't really consider in deciding whether you've meet the one subject limitation or not. So, you know, it seemed like they were inconsistent, but there were probably unarticulated reasons in terms of the medical, in terms of the law enforcement issues, which are legitimate. And I think would be a strong argument in favor of, excuse me, a strong argument against the mar medical marijuana proposal as it had been written. Uh, but anyway, you know, it just shows that the judges are are, are human, you know, they're not perfectly logical uh, or perfectly consistent, you know, they're just like the rest of us. And so that's, that's okay. Okay, uh, that's it. And so uh, questions or comments, I think at this time. Dave, thank you very much uh, for the discussion. Uh, I invite anyone who has additional questions or comments uh, again to share them in the chat box or to uh, share them in the Q&A. Uh, we don't have a specific question from the audience uh, at this point, so perhaps uh, you've, you've covered them thoroughly. Uh, you did describe uh, the, the process if 429, 430, 431 pass. What, um, I would ask the question, what, what sort of timeline would you expect for um, regs to be written such that racetracks could apply to uh, to build and operate a casino and 
and ultimately that translates into operation tax revenues property tax relief that's a great question and um, i'm glad you, i'm glad you asked it uh, in nebraska uh, agency regulations and this gaming board would be it's a state would be a state agency um, they have to be reviewed and approved by the attorney general but also by the governor and so that would i'm not sure about the attorney general so we'll just skip the attorney general for now i mean they they look at whether it's legal or not you know that that sort of thing uh, whether it meets the legal requirements if they have legal issues with it they'll say what those legal issues are and and uh, typically then they, it'll go back and they'll have to revise it because they have to get the attorney general's approval uh, on the legal side um, the governor could also drag his feet uh, and if he wanted to he could sit on it uh, you know for a month or whatever so it could be that those regulations i mean if everybody was on board and uh, and you know they got the regulations developed say in the, in 60 days uh after the election uh they would uh you know i would say another 60 days for review would not be unreasonable and 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 so that would be you know march maybe uh uh march or april would be would be if, if, the, if no stags were encountered, uh, if the governor were, was wanted to sit on it and stuff like that, you know, it could be after that. But, uh, you know, if, if it's not, I would expect it to occur sometime during the legislative session. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the political dimension could, could um, drag that out a little more. Understood. Understood, uh, Dave. In your in your comparison of the um, the fate of the medical marijuana uh, uh, petition initiatives versus the uh, the casino gambling initiatives, um, the medical marijuana was ultimately found to be those that initiative was ultimately found to be not in compliance with the 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 procedures to get onto the ballot. Um, there was a question that noted that was challenged by a sheriff and or challenged by uh, uh, some various interest groups. Uh, in general, or perhaps a historical perspective, how often do uh, initiatives get challenged uh, on their legal standing before they get from the point of they've submitted enough signatures to the point that they end up on the ballot? Is that a, has that happened often or is that a uh, relatively well, I'd, rare? I'd, uh, say, I'd say it's typical. Uh, especially in recent years, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, if, if an initiative petition doesn't have any challengers, then it's, it's gotta be pretty non-controversial. And of all the ones that, that we have, you know, the slavery, nobody challenged the slavery one, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all the rest of them were challenged mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and I, I'd say that that was was representative. So um, I'm if it's if it's if it's controversial, uh, it's a, a challenge is virtually guaranteed. Understood. Um, I believe that wraps up the questions we have uh, uh, before us this afternoon. We've reached our one o'clock hour as well. So 
Uh, I appreciate those that have participated and the, and the time you've provided. Thanks to you, Dave, for your insight and, and perspective as well, uh, giving us understanding of, of the, uh, uh, the issues we face on the ballot uh, next Tuesday uh, for those that are prepared to vote that day. Um, and uh, we'll wait to see what the results show. But I thank you for the time to, to wrap up uh, today. Let me remind you that uh, we appreciate uh, your participation in the webinar series. Um, I want to uh, thank you for joining. If you're interested in a recording of this webinar, it will be posted shortly at farm.unl.edu. You can also register for other upcoming uh, webinars on that, uh, uh, on that page as well. Uh, check our upcoming schedule. The series continues next Thursday at noon uh, with a panel of representatives from the financial community uh, to talk about the ag lending uh, situation and, and outlook uh, with, a, with a group of financial lenders. We will be announcing very soon as well a webinar for the following Thursday, uh, November 12th, on livestock risk management uh, with some uh, national participation as well. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.